I invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to both of those passages, if you could hold them in hand. Genesis 45 and 50. About 20 years ago now, this little book was published. I think I bought it the first year. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. They have 10 different copies, with 10, uh, many, many subjects in them by now. They, it became a game. Um, there's a website you can still go to. And what it does is what it says. It just helps you survive, know how to survive some of the worst case scenarios you could possibly face in life. Some of them in the uh, table of contents are listed, how to escape from quicksand. And one I know most of you experienced, how to wrestle an alligator how to break down a door, how to land a plane, how to fend off a shark, and the obvious one, how to escape from killer bees. The two authors that wrote the book write this in the preface. The principle behind this book is a simple one. You just never know. You never really know what curves life will throw at you, what is lurking around the corner or hovering above your head. You never know when you might be called on to perform an act of extreme bravery and to choose life or death with your own actions. But when you are called, here's what they say, we want you to be sure that you know what to do. And that is why we wrote this book. Those four words, you just never know. When you feel that lump in your throat or in other places in your body like many have told in recent days and you fear it's cancer. And I talked to a girl who went to our school, Nadia, teenager, not even 20, I don't believe, has cancer treatments. Judy Jester in our church has had cancer. Others are being tested even as I speak this morning in our church and we'll find out this week about whether they have cancer. You never know about your health. You never know about your job. I've talked to people who lost their job after a year and after 20 years. Everything can seem fine in your mind and you go to work, but you just never know. Your marriage, things are great, but this year was completely different. Things have gone south. The bottom has dropped out. You just never know. Your loved ones, they get sick. They die suddenly. Tim Ferry's memorial service today for his dad. Craig Avon wrote a song. I encourage you to listen to it on YouTube if you Unless you want, don't want to cry, then I wouldn't do it. It's called The Sweetest Gift. He wrote it for a family that lost their five-year-old son to cancer. John Smith, who was with the piano guys, I'm not sure if they're all believers or not, but he heard the song and it moved him. And it moved him because his own daughter, who was 20 years old, had died recently at Christmas time. And he said, and I quote, brutal time, brutal time at Christmas struggling with the loss. You just never know. Both my parents died in the same year. Your loved ones, your friends, 
but you just never know. You don't know what's around the corner, do you? And so probably worst case scenario for you, you're not probably worried about a shark attack today, but maybe you are about an anxiety attack. So you're not worried about wrestling with an alligator, but wrestling with a disease or a sickness or a loss of employment, that you might be. Not worried about how to survive an earthquake, but maybe a life quake would be more realistic. You see, as a Jesus follower, in order to not just survive, as the handbook says, but more importantly, even to thrive, see, God has given us a worst-case scenario handbook. And it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Now, let me tell you this. The Bible is not primarily a survival handbook. And certainly not only that, but it is that. And over the next few weeks as we approach Christmas, I want to introduce you to five survivors, five biblical stories about worst-case scenarios. And today is Joseph. And if there was a chapter in the biblical worst-case scenario handbook, it would say, Joseph, how to survive being sold into slavery by your brothers. If you're not familiar with the story, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. He was the last of the, the 12th of 12 brothers. He had a mixed family. His dad had multiple wives. And early in his life, he had dreams, dreams that God gave him, supernatural revelation about how someday his own father and all of his brothers would bow down to him. And in those dreams, he really didn't know what it meant and what the future held. He didn't have any understanding of the details. But he knew that God was in control of his life and in everything in his future, and he had a purpose for it. And that was rock solid in Joseph's life. You just never know. Joseph never knew, never knew that the day that his dad instructed him to find his brothers in Dothan and to bring food to them was the day that it would all start. And if you know anything about the biblical it in this story, is that his brothers were jealous of him because his dad played favorites and Joseph was his favorite. He gave him a coat of many colors and he stood out and Joseph was telling his brothers constantly about how someday they were going to bow down to him and they didn't like it, as you can imagine. And so when they see him coming on that day, they decided to kill him. One of the brothers, Reuben, steps in and says, we can't do that. But eventually when Reuben was gone, they ended up selling him to a band of Ishmaelites into Egypt. There's no way, there is no way Joseph would have ever woke up and thought on that day that this is my last day that I'll ever see my mom ever again. That it's going to be 13 years from the time he was 17 to 30 before he'd ever see his dad or his brothers. He never knew that. And so you know what he needed? He needed a survival kit. And the first tool God gave him to put into that kit, and he wants to share it with all of you this morning, is this. You need perspective. The power of perspective. And let me clarify right off the bat, this is not a message that includes psychobabble. It's not a positive thinking message. This is not a sermon on how to treat and make the best of your own circumstances. Because anyone, whether you're a Christian or not, can do all of those things. This is a message that, about seeing everything through God's eyes. And let me say this, everything. It's a message about having the ability to see what happens on earth from heaven's point of view. It's about two realities that exist side by side, God's and yours. It is a lesson on how to be freed from the entitlement mentality which says, 
I don't deserve this. It's freedom from victimization that thinks that everything happens by chance and I'm not accountable for my responses. This is a message that liberates from those mentalities. It's Ruth who chose to follow God even though her heart had been broken by the loss of her husband, but she stays faithful to him because she had the right perspective. It's like Abraham and Sarah, although ups and downs were included in their life, but choosing still to follow God and obey him, even though years passed before the promised son actually was delivered. It's Moses who has the perspective of being able to see the invisible and therefore chooses to suffer with the affliction in the wilderness for 40 years with the people of God instead of staying in the palace where it was far more comfortable. So the question from the text arises for all of us, doesn't it? Specifically for you and me, have you lost this perspective? Let me ask this. Have you ever had it? See, I don't know what your worst case scenario is this morning, but I know this, you need and I need perspective. So let's take a look at Joseph's life and we'll unpack those two realities, your perspective and God's, and how they are to be kept together. And that's what we find in Genesis 45 and 50, isn't it? And I would say this, if you want a big idea today, having a right perspective of people and having a right perspective of God have to be held together when you go through your worst case scenario. Keeping them together is absolutely vital, is crucial, it is essential, it is non-negotiable. Here's why, because if you have a right perspective of people, but you don't have a right perspective of God, in other words, people are evil, you get that. But you don't understand the detailed and the, extreme, the level of God's sovereignty. See, you will become cynical and you will become bitter and you will want to think that all you are is a victim and that you will find it easy to give up and turn your back on God, the church, and even the people that you love. Turn it around. If you have a right perspective on God, but you don't have a clear and right and biblical understanding of people, you will begin to mistrust God. You will begin to doubt whether he really cares about your life and has the power to do anything about it. And then it'll either turn to uh, a wrong self-evaluation or you'll get angry at him because he's not doing what you think he ought to do. See, there are dangers in both of them. So Joseph's life tells us that when we face worst-case scenarios, we have to keep those two perspectives glued together, right? And he's going to tell us how. Those passages that we read, they have paradigms, and I want to show you what they are. They are conflicted at one point, but they are also connected. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter 45 and verse 5, if you'll look there, I want to put two phrases in your mind. Here's what 45.5 says. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says this, three words, you sold me. See it? Underline that. But in the very same sentence, same sentence, side by side, he says, Joseph's brother, you sold me. Watch. God sent me. See what he's saying? How do those go together? You sold me. God sent me sent me. Now he does, if you have your hand, remember you're going to flip back and forth, so keep your hand there. Chapter 50 in verse 20 says the same thing in just slightly different way. I want to call you to this grammatical understanding. The verb is the same in verse 20, and I'm going to point it out. Watch. Ready? Here's the paradigm. We got to understand people and God. Ready? 50-20. 
Joseph's brothers, you meant, see the word meant? It's a purpose verb. They did it on purpose. You meant it for what? For evil. That's how we understand people. Ready? Now God, ready? But, same verb, ready? Just as purposeful, just as planned, just as intentional. You meant it for evil. Watch. God meant it for good. See that? Side by side. We have to understand and have a right perspective of people and what they do and why they do it. And also the same case for God. Chapter 45 talks about two missions. God sent me. I mean, Joseph is so strong about this perspective tool in his kit. Look how strong he says it going back to 45 and verse 8. He wants them to know this, my brothers. You did not send me. Same language. You didn't send me here. Did they send him here? They certainly did. So what does he mean? You didn't send me here. God sent me here. Ready? And then also two meanings. You meant evil, chapter 50. God meant good. So which one is it? The case is this. It's both. It's not either or. It's both and So what are we to draw conclusions about this? Here's what we draw. People, evil people, definitely have power in this world. And you may have experienced it. Your parents have power over you. Your boss has power over you. The government, in some ways, has power over you. And a proper biblical perspective on your worst case scenarios knows this. That we do not ignore the reality of that power. Instead, we reframe it. Joseph doesn't downplay what his brothers did. He says you did it on purpose, it was intentional, and here's how he describes it. Ready? Evil. It is evil what you did to me. He didn't say it was a mistake and you had a bad day. He didn't downplay it, minimize it, ignore it. No, you know what he says? You know, biblical perspective? Yes, you did it. You're responsible. You are liable. And what you did was unbelievably evil. That's the biblical perspective. And see, you and I will never get past our past by acting as if certain evil things didn't happen. We will never get past our past by acting as if it's not as bad as it really was. That's not the answer. It's not ignoring it. It's not brushing it off. It's say, I'm just not going to deal with it. That will never help your life. You will never get through your worst case scenarios in that way. What you have to understand is that there is evil in this world, but it is penultimate, not ultimate. And by the, I mean this, it is second, not first. That people who are evil have power, but the power is limited and God's is unlimited. That they are powerful, but God is all powerful. See, people's evil purposes, they are real. And so if you are here today and you have been perpetrated by abuse and gossip and slander and mistreatment of all forms, can I tell you, it is real and we would never want to downplay or minimize it. But can I also say to you, it is not the final say. What Joseph wants you and I to know as we face our own worst case scenarios is this. God's purposes control people's purposes. 
And he makes it obvious because Joseph, even though he's very young, is incredibly God-centered. Listen to him as I read. Chapter 45 and verse 5. God sent me. 45.7. God sent me. Verse 8. God made me a father to Pharaoh and a ruler in this land. 45.9. God has made me ruler in Egypt. You know what his perspective is? God is behind and in it all. Joseph would hear those words, you just never know. And you know what he would say? That's true. But let me add a phrase. Our God always knows. See, that is our encouragement. It's right. You just never know. Worst case scenarios, they may be around the corner. They may be hovering right above your head. I don't know how this day will end. But can I tell you this? God does. God knows it all. And so we can say in our 21st century worst case scenario paradigm, you meant to hurt me, but God meant to help me. You meant to abuse me, God meant to use me. You meant to curse me, God meant to bless me. You meant to put me down, God meant to pull me up. Pastor Walker, how is that possible? How can you have that perspective? Well, can I tell you this, and please listen. You will never have that perspective in your worst case scenario if you do not have it before your worst case scenario. You will be no more in your trials than you are right now. Do you understand that? Joseph, when he was a kid, before the worst case scenario ever started, had dreams. Not dreams in your bed like you and I have. Revelations from God. It was God's word to him before it was written down. And here's what he told him. Joseph, you're going to be a ruler someday. And your brothers and your dad, they're included in this dream I have for your life. And they will bow down to you. He didn't understand all the, how it was going to work out, but he knew it was true and he held on to it. Psalm 105 in verses 13 through 20 Describe Joseph's life. And in that passage, it says this, that Joseph was locked away in prison until, until this word, meaning God's word in his dreams, came to pass. I'm sure it was very difficult, and that's probably a vast understatement, to know how you get through 13 long years of being a slave, thrown in prison for a crime you didn't commit, being forgotten by people who said they would remember you, not just 13 days or weeks or months, 13 years between the dream and its fulfillment. 13 years. How did he do it? How did he keep facing the worst case scenario when it popped up in his life every day? He did it with the right perspective. A faith that believed what God said would come to pass. See, listen, You have to fight the unknown with the known. You have to fight what is visible with your physical eyes with what is invisible with your spiritual eyes. When things are out of control, remember this, God is in control. And that's what Joseph had to live out and remind himself every single day. See, your view of God will always determine your view of people. 
So when he was thrown in prison, how did he not get angry and bitter at Potiphar? When the butler and the baker forgot him, how did he not just pray God's vengeance on them? See, when he came to his brothers and there was a chance to forgive them, how did he forgive them and still not take revenge or hate them? You know why? Because he had this view of God. That God was sovereign and on the throne and in control of everything. Is that what shapes you and your view of people? Because the influx or the opposite of that is the danger. Because it's possible that you're here and your view of people determines your view of God. And that's where people's lives become ruined. Let me ask you, who's in charge in the way that you live? Your God or your boss? The way that you function every day, who's really in charge in your marriage that's struggling? Your God or your spouse? In your health, is it your God or your cancer that you think really has more power? Is it your God or your children that you fear the most? Is it your God or your government that you have the greatest allegiance to? You fill in the blank, your God or whatever it is in your life. See, Joseph wasn't just God-centered when it came to his worst-case scenarios. No, it wasn't just an isolated category or part of his life. It was who he was in every single area of his life. Let me give you an example. Just listen. 39.7, Potiphar's wife, whom Joseph made that house successful and, and very prosperous, his wife comes to Joseph and wants to be sexually immoral with him. And eventually she grabs him and he has to confront her with words. And he says, how can I do this great wickedness, listen to this, and sin against God? You see, he had a God-centered view of perspective of wrong and um, of worst case scenarios, but also right and wrong. His morality was God-centered. When he stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, interpret my dream for me because nobody else can. He says this in 41.16, God will give Pharaoh a favorable response. God has shown Pharaoh, he goes on to say, 41:39. God has shown you all this. Did David show him? Yes. Did he do the interpretation? Yes. How did he view his giftedness and his aptitude for ministry? God. God. When Pharaoh comes to rename Joseph because he's so great, he calls him a name in Egyptian, that means this. God speaks and lives. Even the lost Pharaoh could look at Joseph and say, dude, this guy's life's all about God. Joseph looks back as he names his two first sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he names them about God. God made me to forget all my troubles. God made me fruitful in a very difficult... See, it doesn't matter what's going on in Joseph's life whether he's confronted with sexual temptation, whether he's standing before the king and using the gifts God gave him, whether he's having children and deciding who he, what he's going to name them. See, it doesn't matter. Big, little, the event, it, he's about God. And he was like that before he got to Egypt. And so when he gets to Egypt, he's the same way all the way across because that's what you have to be. You have to have the God perspective before you face the worst case scenario or it may destroy you. You never really know. And because you don't ever really know, you have to have a survival plan. And Joseph did. You know what his was? A God-centered perspective on life. 
but it gets a little bit more than that. Two times in both chapter 45 and 50, Joseph now begins to explain the ramifications of a God-centered perspective on worst-case scenarios to his brothers who are afraid that he doesn't have it and they're in for it. So here's what he says to them. He says, you know why God preserved me? So that I could preserve you. 45.5, God sent me here to preserve life. 45.7, to preserve for you a remnant on earth. 50 and verse 21, here's why God brought me here. Here's why he let you sell me here. To bring it about that many people... Listen to this. Many people would be kept alive as it is today. You know what Joseph came to the realization, and this is a hard pill to swallow, get ready, that God brought pain in his life and God allowed a worst case scenario in his life and it wasn't mainly about him. Imagine that. What if your cancer isn't really mainly about you? What if the reason why you lost your job isn't mainly about you? What if it's mainly about him? His purposes, his name, his kingdom, his glory. What if the macro story of God not only overturns and works through people's evil, but what if it's over your life story also? What if your little micro story is only a little piece of the macro story and God is willing to let your worst case scenario happen to you so that you can better tell his story and relinquish yours? What if God's purpose in your pain, listen to this, is to save the people in your life that caused it? You know what Joseph said? You caused my pain, but God gave me the pain so I could preserve your life. You know why? Because from those brothers would come the Messiah. What if the big story is more important than your story? Not that yours doesn't matter, but why it matters has changed. What if God uses your pain not so that you can get revenge, but that you can give restoration William Cooper wrote many songs in our hymn book. And if I told you them, you'd be familiar with them if you know hymns at all. He lived a couple hundred years ago. And although he was a great man of God in some ways, a real area of his life that he struggled with, and some of you here do today, is depression. To the point where he tried to kill himself multiple times in his life. But as he looked back on all of his worst-case scenarios and the struggles he had and how it almost ended his life numerous times, he wrote this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, 
there is a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. You know what William Cooper knew? That things are evil in this world, and there is sin in this world. But our God is in control, and he's sovereign over depression and over everything else in this world. And we can scan God's work in vain unless we let God be his own interpreter. Can I tell you, he has purposes. He has plans. And you may not know them all in this life, but you can rest assured that although you'll wake up tomorrow and you just never know that there's a God who always knows. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just like to pray for you today. You may be here and you could very clearly enunciate your worst case scenario. You never saw this day coming. Or maybe you've experienced this scenario for quite a while. It doesn't seem to ever go away. Maybe not even getting any better. Perhaps only worse. You just never know. But God does. And what he wants and what he's asking, what he's looking for to you today in your response, by the way, which you are accountable for, your response is will you understand both of those truths and keep them side by side? Will you have a biblical perspective of people and God? And that his purposes trumps all other purposes and that he has a plan. Are you okay with the fact that it's mainly about him and others, even more so than you? See, you've got to come to grips with those realities or you may miss, you may miss what God has for you in your worst-case scenario. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would it be some here to say, Pastor Walker, I'm a believer, and I'm going through a worst-case scenario right now, but I, I need to put this tool in my survival kick. I, I need perspective. Not just any, I need a God-centered perspective. Because I know that if I did, it would change so much in my response. Please pray for me. Would you just slip your hand and I'll do that as we close here in a moment? Either on the main floor or on the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. On my right, my left, in the balcony. Thank you. Just keep your hands up a little bit longer so I can see you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've seen hands and you know hearts because you know all things. I pray for those who raise their hands specifically today, facing a worst-case scenario. Maybe they think they won't survive it. But in your kit, Father, you've given us perspective. May Joseph's life give us that encouragement and that push that we need to reframe and rethink our perspective 
and what you're trying to accomplish and what's at the center of all the pain that we feel. I'm afraid at times it's us at the center instead of you and others. I pray, God, today that you would change that in our lives by the work of your spirit and word and for your glory. And we'll give you thanks and blessing for that in Jesus' name. Amen.